Many of our episodes deal with difficult topics involving mental health, including depression and suicidal ideation. This can be triggering for some listeners, so please continue listening at your discretion. We always want you to focus on what is best for your mental health. If you or someone you know is struggling, please use the crisis text line, which offers free 24-7 support for those in crisis. To write love in our arms has partners with them to connect people with a trained counselor. All you have to do is text the keyword to Aloha, which is T-W-L-O-H-A, to the number 741-741, anywhere, anytime. A trained crisis counselor receives that text and responds quickly. To find more 24-hour helplines, counseling centers, and support groups, you can also head to tualoha.com slash findhelp. That's T-W-L-O-H-A dot com slash findhelp. You're listening to The Wonder Podcast, brought to you by Be The Change Youth Initiative, where we believe everyone should be seen, heard, and loved. We're committed to educating, equipping, and empowering youth to use their lives in advocacy for others. The Wonder Podcast was created to be a space where we truly see and hear one another. Because when we listen to people's stories, empathy is cultivated. So we'd like to invite you along with us as we listen and learn from others. This is The Wonder Podcast. I have two wonderful people with me. Hi, Mom and Dad. Hello. Hello, Sydney. Hi. Okay, so before we start... I thought it'd be cool to ask three random questions. I did it with Brayden last time, and it went really well as you listened to it. So <laughs> here we go. First one, if you could have, like, a favorite meal, like, it was your last meal ever, Ooh, what would it be? My favorite meal. Start with raw oysters on a half shell. Ribeye steak with twice-baked potato and creme brulee. Not that I've thought anything about this whatsoever. <laughs> okay, your turn. Yeah, mine's easy. Um, it would be pad thai, shrimp pad thai, mm-hmm. from a place we used to go to in Portland called Miranda Pad Thai. Miranda Thai. Yeah. And we haven't found a place that good on the road, and certainly not down here in Chattanooga, so I really miss Miranda Thai. Mm. Yep. That's solid. That was my favorite, too. I really miss it. <laughs> if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would it be? Ooh. I think for me, I I haven't, I've been to a lot of places. I have not been to Asia, and I've not been to Australia. So, one of those two. That's for me. I don't know specifically where, but... Those are good. Yes. I think mine would be Madagascar. (laughs) Because I like to move it. Um, one thing that not many people know about you. Oh, gosh. 
Why are you laughing, Jamie? <laughs> I feel like there's a lot that people don't know about me. Probably my sarcasm. <laughs> or your humor. Yeah. yeah. Or that you like to move it. True. <laughs> um, I think yeah, I think there's a lot that people don't know about me either. Um, I think a misconception is that I'm a very extroverted person, but I really do. My favorite thing is to actually be alone in reading, in quiet solitude. I, I can do extroverted things, but I really do like the peace and solitude with a good book. That's all you're getting from me today. Well, thank you for introducing yourself <laughs> and allowing people to get to know you a little better. Uh, so, the podcast with Brayden, we share his story and um, just our perspectives on it, like from him personally, like experiencing all that, and then from the outside, me looking in and watching him go through that and what it was like. And so, I wanted to get your perspectives on that as well. And you're part of the story that not many people get to hear, especially during the shows. So, when did you become aware of Brayden's struggles? Gosh, honestly, I think we were oblivious to it. Brayden's always been a really quiet, shy kid and had kept to himself pretty much all through adolescence. Um, we knew that he was seemed to be moping around more. But we, I think we just kind of chalked it up to, you know, it's winter and winters in Maine are, are kind of a doldrum and you do suffer from, you know, seasonal de- depression. It's a real thing. And he was homeschooled and as much as we tried to engage in music lessons and social groups, like there, there is isolation that you, you know, you face. But it wasn't really until he told us that he was struggling that we became aware of how bad it was um during that time where did you guys go and get help um well I wish I could say that we had success in that um you know there there are a couple of things that that happened um immediately we we tried to find a counselor to go to it was not in our wheelhouse it was you know trying to have Find counseling and help of any sort with, when it comes to mental health was not something that we had done before. And so we had done some cursory looks, tried to find some recommendations in all of the places that we went to. And there weren't a lot where we were in Maine. Um, there was at minimum a two-month wait. So a two-month wait to even get him in the door to speak to someone. Um, so that was something we weren't expecting. You know, and we had also part of our story is that we had reached out to our pastor um, to ask for help. And, you know, in this case, our pastor was also a very close friend, um, almost like family. We had spent holidays with him and his family. They were actually on our will, if anything should happen to us, that um, you guys would go to them. Um, and so, it, it, you know, it just seemed to make sense to reach out to him for help and because he had a counseling background. But unfortunately, when we reached out to him, he his only advice to us was to go to a website, a national ministry website, and do a, you know, a referral for a counselor in our area. You know, I think we were expecting a lot more. We were expecting, um, 
we were expecting for him to offer to meet with us and to pray with us and with his background in counseling and to, to meet with Brayden and to help us navigate this. And what happened was the exact opposite. Uh, and then I think we had to face some really hard truths about the stigma of mental health. Um, I even had to come to some really hard truths myself um, of how I looked at it in the past. If I had become aware of someone in our community whose son or daughter had been struggling, how I might have taken pause in our interactions with them and this fear that if my kids hang out with their kids, will they become more susceptible to depression or anxiety or whatever it was, suicidal ideation. And then here I was on the flip side of that, and now this is what I was thinking. Like, if I tell people that Brayden is struggling, will they look at him differently? Will they treat him differently? Will they treat us differently? Like, who can I trust that won't judge us or think that we're bad parents or think that he's a bad kid? And and it <clears throat> was consuming to me and paralyzed by this fear of this stigma around mental, mental health. Yeah, and just <clears throat> not to belabor the point, but when we did reach out for help uh, when we looked to our pastor. Uh, we, I, mean, I recall it being a pretty desperate situation. Like we didn't know where to turn. We thought this was going to be a safe place. Um, you know, basically grasping at straws and who, who can help us when we're dealing with this. So um, the fact that that was a dead end and there was no effort or, or interest at all in at least even meeting with him or us um, I, I think I just recall us sort of being paralyzed that evening and just, all right, what do we do now? Um, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, too. When you have a loved one who goes through this, you start questioning, okay, what, you know, what did I do mm-hmm. to do this? As parents, what have we done? Where have we gone wrong? Um, but that's not the case. I mean, I, naturally, I think your thoughts go there, but that's just not where they should go. Um, so I think it's important to talk about this issue and if you're lucky enough not to have someone who may be struggling with it to be there and to be receptive if anyone ever talks to you about it and just to be you know be present um, is is more important than you ever know I mean you don't have to have all the answers just by being present I think would be key yes I agree with that so after that point and after that, having that conversation, when did things start changing for you guys, and what specifically did that look like moving forward? I think there was two, there were two pivotal moments that happened in our lives that surrounded this moment. One was with Be the Change, because you know Be the Change was picking up steam, and um, we had been traveling back and forth to Nashville, and we had started working with Make a Wish in Texas, and. Um, so there was some movement there and we had to make a decision is is this something that we're going to do part-time as a hobby as a family or is this something that we feel in our case with our faith that God was calling us to um, to go deeper into encouraging kids to use their gifts and talents and so like that that was going on and we were thinking about taking be the change on the road and then there was some stuff going on with Jamie's work um, like both personally and then things in his office environment that also played a role in it of us leaving. Do you want to sure. share that? Um, anyone that knows me uh, knows that I'm not a risk taker. So to get to a point where, um, you know, I basically f- 
got rid of all security, uh, left my job, uh, terminated insurance, retirement contributions, uh, you know, really, really no safety blanket. It, it took a lot for me to get there. Um, I'd like to say there was one factor above all that <clears throat> really dictated my decision or willingness to do it, but there isn't. I mean, there are a number of things that went into it. But when Braden was struggling with all this, and this played a pretty big role, um, I would say, he was struggling with it, and there were two colleagues in my office. Uh, and at the time, I was working at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Maine, uh, working long hours like everybody else there. I mean, everybody that worked there were, were dedicated public servants. They were committed to the work. I uh, spent a lot of time. I mean, that was, in a lot of cases, their, their primary family. A lot of time in the office, a lot of time dedicated to the mission. Uh, but in my case, I was spending probably 60 plus hours there a week routinely. Um, of course, when there were deadlines and, and trials, that sometimes increased. <laughs> to like 90. No, not that much. Yes, that um, much. <laughs> but anyway, in the six months leading up to our decision, so probably the end of 2018, second half of 2018, I had two colleagues in my office who lost sons. Um, One I know for sure uh, was a high schooler who committed suicide. And the other, it was a, uh, a young man. We never did find out what happened because the family was secret about it, but um, you know, suspicion was there as well that he also committed suicide. So it, it really put things in perspective for me. we're all sitting here in tears now um yeah yeah and I think that that was um like I remember there were nights where I couldn't sleep and I would go check on Brandon multiple times just to make sure that he was still with us like breathing and I just remember it's like I can't live like this like um it consumed us it consumed us and so we just um, we made a very bold, bold decision to move. And I feel like I can't even go into that whole story of how we moved, but it was it was just a really, you know, we were desperate. And, and like Jamie said, it was a desperate place for us to make decisions. And it, those were bold decisions, like to walk away from. I wasn't working, so to walk away from our only income and to walk away from our insurance. And we were going to, you know walk away from our community and go on this cross-country journey um and we ended up selling our house and buying an rv and we had never been camping a day in our lives but even the selling of our house you know we we decided to put the house on the market and uh, ended up setting it at a price our real estate agent set it at a price that was higher than we thought we could sell it at so as fast as we needed it to but when she offered to bring the, the price down to make it competitive, Jamie's like, nope, we're going to leave it here. And if we sell it at this price, then we'll know that God's in it and we're supposed to do it. And we had an offer within 24 hours of putting it on the market. And the offer was actually $20,000 more than our the price that we had put it at. So, um, so when we got the offer that night, Jamie texted his boss and said, hey, I'm quitting. And so, you know, he quit his job in March of, you know, 2000, 
2019, two weeks later, we sold our house. We had nowhere to live. Thankfully, one of Jamie's coworkers let us stay in his rental house. We got rid of most of our things and bought an RV without driving it, without ever being camping, ever. And we started on this crazy journey. And that's how desperate we were. Like that's like that people hear that and they think, oh gosh, that's crazy. Your your faith was so huge and yeah, I mean it was, but it came out of the desperation. And when you're desperate, like you'll do anything, especially when your kid is involved. And so it it was being together. You know, it, we had all this time together. Jamie was with us. We were together as a family doing crazy things and meeting wonderful people. The kids were doing what they love to do, which is singing and performing. And um, and that's that was a huge change. I mean, there was a, a noticeable shift in his demeanor um, just by the intentionality of being together without the pressures of work and life. And I mean, it, we had unique pressures in and of itself being on the road, but... Um, we were together and that's that was a huge huge change so what do you want to say to other parents who find themselves in these similar situations man um i remember one of the biggest things for me on the trip was you know you guys had that show in Austin and, and Braden shared his story to a group of teenagers for the first time. And I remember sitting back and watching that moment. It was really surreal for me. Um, like he, like every, every person in that room, and it was a big room, probably one of the bigger audiences that you guys have had. And like everyone was watching, the adults were watching, the, the teens were watching and they were recording it and it was quiet. And and I just remember like holding my breath because I remember being scared for him. And mm-hmm. I, but then afterwards, I remember this rush onto the stage to talk to you guys. And that's when I kind of exhaled. And it wasn't until the next day when the youth pastor called us and said, hey, I need you to know what happened. And, and a lot of it was like, that was not prepared. Like that was not scared like scripted that was not supposed to happen they just wanted you guys to talk a little bit longer than you usually do mm-hmm. and um it just kind of came out of that moment and and he said he's like I know this isn't what you expected and I know this isn't what you usually talk about but you need to keep doing this and, and he said because these kids went home and they talked to their parents and he's like and we've been inundated with phone calls and emails and text saying, who did you bring in because my kid is talking to me for the first time? And I think that was it. That was, that's when I knew that what, what this was, what we were being called to was going to be different and important because kids aren't talking to their parents and parents, we don't know how to talk to our kids. And like, I think people look at us and think we're such, you know, a good, close family and we are, and we always have been. (laughs) But we weren't talking about these things. We didn't know what to ask. We didn't know how to check in with our kids to make sure that mentally that you were okay, you know? And, and like, I think that's the big thing is that we, you know, parents right now, whoever's listening to this, you might know that your, your child is struggling. It might be very apparent. And then there's some, there might be some of you like us that have no clue. Are you, you think that, well, 
a lot of kids are struggling right now. I mean, 2020 was bad for all of us. Isolation has have, has lasting effects on all of us right now. You might chalk it up to, well, a lot of this is going around. But like you still need to have those conversations because it's the tip of the iceberg and you don't know what's underneath that layer of ocean. And like that's it. That's what I would encourage parents to do is to sit down and to, and to have heartfelt conversations with their kids and then to reach out and try to find other parents that are struggling too. And like until we start as parents removing the stigma associated with it, that's what I feel called to do is I don't want any other parent to feel like I did felt like I was a bad parent because I missed something felt like people were going to judge me because we're struggling as a family or one of my kids is struggling. Um, you know, that might be a reality, but in my experience, there are far more parents struggling in silence right now than those that are talking about it. And like the more we can talk about it, the more people feel comfortable and sharing their grief and their burden as well and that we have to do this together like we have to do it together we change the culture around the stigma yeah i would just um what i was going to say is don't assume you know what's going on in your kids lives um i think kids are really nimble and i was i was like that as a kid too my parents didn't know half of what i was doing mm-hmm. so it's it's important to be present it's important to to have those conversations, as Deirdre was was saying, don't assume you know what's going on or how they're feeling. Um, you really got to dig dig into it. Um, secondly, we didn't find help, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you won't. Mm-hmm. So, to the extent that you're dealing with this, you suspect that something's going on, ask for help. And if the door closes, ask somebody else for help. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, just don't don't stop until you you get the answers you need to get. Um, I mean, that's probably somewhere that we went we went wrong and we ended up dealing with it on our own um, probably in large part from the discouragement uh, that we we experienced when we turned at one place we thought okay absolutely we're gonna get help here mm-hmm. um, and thirdly I would say that it's not too late to change circumstances mm-hmm. yeah. so um, if you have to make adjustments in life to deal with whatever may be going on do it um, it's hard to do obviously because we're conditioned and we're raised in this this capitalistic society where you know you got to do so many things and, and have that financial security blanket and everything else but um, I would just urge you your kids are, are the most important so to the extent that you can change things uh, reasonably change things I would suggest doing it even though the unknown is scary and there's no guarantee on the back end that things <laughs> are going to work out. But, um, you know, as, as difficult as things are now for us financially, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having left the security of a career, um, you know, given the last 18 to 24 months, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change a thing. I think, too, just to piggyback on what Dad said, that when we hit the road and we started talking, like after that show in Austin, we, we decided, that's when we decided to stay on the road. And we started engaging in these conversations. And, you know, our we thought our story was unique. You know, we didn't really talk about the church, the church hurt that we experienced and, and just the stigma around it. And what I was just blown away by was how not unique our story was and how so many other people 
had experienced the same kind of rejection within the church when it came to issues of mental health. And like that broke my heart. Um, but also, you know, it, it was a place where I saw like, this is where we can work. Like this is where we can push in. And so I think, yes, Jamie is correct. That's definitely where we, we made a huge mistake is we took that one rejection as we were going to be rejected all over when it came to, to our story and getting Brayden help. And that's not the case. We have found some amazing people, some, you know, amazing places, amazing places of faith that are doing this well, that they are committed to a holistic approach of mental health and, um, and taking care of their people. So those resources and those people are out there. So don't take no for an answer. Keep searching, keep asking questions, keep sharing your stories, keep reaching out. We're, we're here. So we're always available to, to share our wisdom and resources. Uh, in fact, we've created a resource specifically for parents. Um, it's a two page PDF that we will be making available on the blog this week. Yep. It goes out. Um, and so, and it has a lot of great resources for you, some books to, to read, to listen to, some websites to go to. Like we just wanted to provide resources for parents specifically to meet you where you are, to try to help your kids, to become educated. Mm-hmm. This is edu- like becoming educated about resources and other people's stories is the best thing to help you in this journey to know that you're number one not alone and to learn from other people where to go to get help so um, I highly recommend doing that research but we will be providing that pdf for you as well awesome okay well thank you guys for doing this I love you both so much we love you (laughs) (laughs) and we will talk to you all soon Thank you guys for listening. Bye.